Hello and welcome to Special Issue, Wiley's podcast for societies about all things scholarly publishing. I'm Steffi Nightingale. So today we're going to be focusing on the ways a society can look to diversify its revenue. Gavin Sharrock is a Senior Director of Corporate and Society Partnerships here at Wiley, and he's got over 20 years worth of experience of working with society partners. So he's here to talk us through what you should and shouldn't focus on, what your approach should be, and give us a couple of examples as well of how other societies have successfully built on, expanded and diversified their revenue streams. Over to Gavin. So in my experience, most societies don't take product development um, as a serious undertaking. They don't have dedicated product development teams or or individuals or product development infrastructure, and they lack a culture of innovation and investment. So the first thing that I suggest you do is you need to make product development someone's responsibility and you need to invest in it in terms of both time and money. And creating new products and new revenue streams isn't easy. It requires the willingness and the ability to fail. It requires investment. It requires patience. So allow for those uh, space for those things to happen. Don't expect everything to work at once. Results don't come immediately. And in this regard, pilots are very important, as well as the courage to try new things, to let go of things that you've you've been trying that aren't working. So you need an environment when new ideas can be aired safely, where failure is seen as a a learning opportunity and where time is specifically put aside to focus on ideation, which I recognize is very hard considering the, the pressures we all have with our day jobs. So make this part of the day job. It's also very important to break down silos where you can um, have different teams collaborating because this can create a great environment for new ideas. And I've found this is especially um, so in the scholarly, scholarly association space where the majority of your assets are about information and education. So there's often a natural connection across different parts of the organization. And your users aren't necessarily interested in the fact that your meetings and events are held separately to your journal content which is separate to your educational webinar series. They just want to understand more about topic A or or topic B and how to find that information. So you should think about the content and assets you have across the whole society and how you can better organize that content, make it more discoverable, how you can add value to that content for your users. I like to try and think of product innovation as falling into two separate areas. The first is product iteration, which is where you already have something and you evolve it and hopefully improve it. And the second is around completely new opportunities, brainstorming ideas that you haven't done before, which is often much more difficult to do, but can deliver bigger results. So in my experience, both of these follow the same basic principle, which is you need to focus on providing value to the users of the product or service as well as to the payers of the product or service, which can be the same, but often aren't. It may, be, it may seem very obvious to do this, but I've seen lots of examples of products or projects that are sold to industry, for example, and they don't provide value to the society members. So in other words, it's all about short-term revenue gain. This results in a lack of engagement from the user, which results in a lack of return on investment for the sponsor, which obviously results in the product or project being canceled. So ensure that you think both how the product is going to be used as well as to the value it provides to the buyer before you you embark on the development. The world is full of great products that no one's willing to pay for. 
And that's especially so in member organizations where there's often an expectation that new developments will be included under your current member dues. So as a basic rule, when I'm talking to a society about a pain point <clears throat> that a product is supposedly going to solve, which will deliver revenue to the society and extra value to the members, I, get, I ask the, the society three simple questions. So firstly, is the problem prevalent? Is it an urgent need? And is someone willing to pay to fix it? So it may not be that someone's willing to pay to fix the problem necessarily, but the solution to the problem may be monetizable once the problem is solved. But the question of where the revenue is still needs to be asked. So if you don't get an answer of yes to each of those three questions, you need to dig further. And to answer those three questions, you'll need to truly understand your membership and your wider community. So what are they complaining about? What are they currently doing? What are their pain points? Why did they join your society? Why have they chosen to renew with your society? What do they need help with? Questions like that. And it's easy to assume that you know, but I'd encourage you to keep digging, especially in today's world, where there's vocal minorities tend to get amplified. And finally, product development isn't just about developing new products um, that you haven't had before. It can just be about changing the user experience of current, current problems, um, products to deliver more value. So this is an example of how Wiley has worked with some societies to reimagine the, the ETOC, the e-table of contents experience. So you'll be well aware that ETOCs have been very popular for a number of years, but we found that, <clears throat> excuse me, we found their usage has dropped over time as our inboxes are becoming increasingly full. So we worked on adding value for the reader to re-engage with the, the um, table of contents. And we did this by removing the long list of article titles and instead replacing them with a curated list of content that's handpicked by the editor. So we also started to send out the alerts to the whole membership rather than the self-selected list that ETOX serve um, where people can choose whether or not to get them. So this did two things. It increased engagement with email and it provided uh, a defined circulation list, which meant there was a tangible uh, value to advertisers, which meant that we could start selling paid advertising onto the alerts, which was never really possible with um, ETOX. So it's very important that these content alerts are circulated even when there isn't any paid advertising. So we do run society ads in the positions when that's the case and there's nothing that's been paid. So here we have another example of product iteration. So commercially sponsored supplements have been declining for a number of years now. That's partly because of regulatory changes within industry that restricts the publication of industry created content. And that's partly because of the uh, growing perception of bias with commercial supplements. So to address this, one of our editors worked with us to turn the business model on its head. So the journal Diabetes, Obesity and Metabolism, or DOM, now doesn't accept um, direct commercial supplements, but it does create educational supplements that we then source funding for through unrestricted educational grants, ideally with multiple project, uh, sponsors on each, each project. So the scope of the, the supplement, the educational gap that it fills, uh, the authors that write the articles, they're all decided by the editor. Um, this has allowed sponsors to continue to fund supplements because it's within their policies. And it's also increased the value to Dom's readers, resulting in highly cited, highly read content that benefits the journal so everybody wins. So here's an example of Greenfield Innovation. And just for tr transparency, this wasn't a project that Wiley is involved in, although we have done things like this in the past. 
So here the American College, College of Emergency Physicians have identified in their need in their community to support emergency physicians in board certification and recertification in emergency medicine. So this was started very small, it built up over a period of time, but it's a great example of all the best practices that I identified earlier. So things like understanding your community, investing in innovation, being patient, focusing on value to the end user and to the people that are gonna pay, which are the same people in this example. So ASAP also dedicated a member of staff to manage the product development. And that person worked intimately with key members of the community through an, ed uh, an editorial board, which has grown in size over the years. And this editorial board, along with regular member needs assessment surveys that ASAP send out, made sure the voice of the community was being heard. So this program now includes a range of products and services. It generates a lot of revenue for the society and provides enormous value to the emergency physician community. And finally, another example where Wiley has been involved is, is working with the uh, EADV, so it's the Euro European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology, to develop a service to help sponsors of their industry symposia to increase the impact and reach of the content that they're delivering at the event. So corporate sponsors often spend a large amount of money delivering content to a relatively small audience at a conference and opportunities to increase the impact of that content often either don't exist at all or they're limited to hosting of the content on the society website after the event. So we worked with the ADV to develop digital enhancements that we package around the presented content and then promoted to an extended audience beyond the delegates of the conference. In our society surveys, we've seen career support as being the number one reason that people um, join society. So it's a, it's a really key question for societies to grapple with. Um, and what we're finding um, is that the career support is more career development. So um, the societies that are really doing well at this are ones that are providing content um, and services and products that help uh, the members of the society determine where their career is going to go. Um, so it's not just a case of there's a job board, here's a job, or here's a piece of content about how you can improve your CV. It's more about your, your path um, through your career will support you through that path, will, will provide you means and support getting from one stage to the other, and will map out that path for you. And we're going to get, we're going to see societies get much more sophisticated in being able to do that three things like career centres and career path support. Um, so it will go beyond uh, where, where we are generally now, which is, is job boards and pieces of content. It's going to be a much more immersive experience. Lots of great tips on best practice from Gavin there and some really great examples as well. It's useful to note that you don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel to make the most of revenue opportunities. It's about looking at what you have, what your members want, and working out the best strategies for you. Clearly, understanding your community is really key to successfully diversifying revenue streams. So if you want to understand your members better, you can find insights from our member surveys on thewileynetwork.com. We hope you found it useful, and you're always welcome to reach out to your Wiley contact if you want to explore this further. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. For Wiley, I'm Steffi Nightingale. And you can find more episodes and learn when new episodes are released by subscribing in iTunes or wherever you like to listen. 
You can get more news and information on society publishing from Wiley on Twitter by following us at at Wiley and Research and on our website wiley.com slash network slash society leaders. Our theme music was produced by Medine and this episode was edited by Dennis Velasco. Thanks for listening.